Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. This episode is also brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your child's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy, leaving money under their children's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. Just tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the tooth fairy then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes, and you can then save it to your phone and share it on social media. The app is available for the iPhone and Android, and it's free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. The working experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on Stand the- clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. They're moving in a different and after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. moving his Sexual toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Working Experience Podcast. It's Maddie Kay. And John, welcome, everyone. Oh, big news, big news. Don Trump. They're talking about impeaching him. The big Don. You know where the term Make America Great Again. You know where the term impeachment comes from? Uh, no, enlighten me. When a president was going to be uh, put out of office, they would symbolically throw peaches at him. So <laughs> that's, that's that's so. Uh, what's the what's the word i'm looking for it it's so innocent <laughs> right this right? peaches at him just ah, get out of here come on go you know i actually when i was teaching sixth grade a kid asked me that i think we were talking about the clinton impeachment 
And I said that jokingly, but I said it with a straight face. And they're all looking at me, and this kid's like, really? They used to throw peaches? I was like, no, no, no. I'm joking. I'm joking about that. I was imagining them going home and telling their parents, this is what this guy's telling us. I I think we should start that on social media. Yeah, like, throw peaches at them. Throw, everyone grab a, it's like the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. So everyone grab like a bucket of peaches. Yeah. For the impending impeachment. Or just go to the White House and throw them over the fence onto the lawn. Or oh, yeah. Yeah, nothing's going to happen if you do that. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. All I'm hearing is a little phone call to the president of Ukraine and saying, hey, can you investigate this Biden guy and all the sudden... Yeah, enlisting foreign geez. powers to... What? Well, come on. This is water under the bridge. Is the this is nothing. Not, is a president not supposed to do that? I thought that's what you're yeah, supposed I, to I think that's in the, uh, the gray zone of what a president can and cannot do. I, I mean, this guy, he just doesn't care. No. It's almost like he's trying to get put out of office. Well, I, we've said this... Ad nauseum. Back in the, uh, this is probably back in the day when we first started this podcast. Um, I just think he he just doesn't want to be there anymore. No. Like, I think his ego wants to be there, but it's just a big giant pain in the ass for him. Well, he said he said it like a, a year after he was in office or, or less. He said, this is a really hard job. Sometimes I wish I could just go back to my company. Like, and not so many Yeah, words. he was like making deals, playing golf, yeah. cheating on his wife. I mean, yeah. he was living the life. Which I think he still pretty much does. <laughs> I don't think. You know, he's trying to do it, but he's yeah. constantly getting interrupted with this, you know, running yeah. the country. No, I know. It's a real pain in the neck, which he <laughs> doesn't seem to really. The, I think the only thing he really enjoys is giving speeches. You know, he loves the rallies. He loves the rallies. He loves that stuff, but like, I would just like to just throw a camera down and just see him at the desk, sitting at a desk, just trying to deal with just all this crap. I don't think he does. Like, I, I really don't think. From what I've heard, he like everything gets put into one pagers, or they have graphs and charts because he doesn't like to read. So, or he watches TV. I don't think he really does. You know, and he flies here, he flies there. He likes that. He likes going on Air Force One, going to the Well, rallies. I think that's a, that's a great message for the youth of America. Yeah. The president of the United States, the highest position of power in the free world, he doesn't like to read. No. So, they, so they've got to, they almost got to like wrap it in a candy bar. Yeah. To get information to him. Like a dog taking a pill. You gotta like put it in, <laughs> you gotta put it in a treat and get the dog to Exactly. Take it. No, I know. And as an English teacher, this doesn't do my profession. I mean nobody likes to read anymore anyway. I was reading some statistic it said like over half of Americans read one book last year. And it was supposed to be like a good thing. I think that's a I think that's a phenomenal stat. One book. I, I was going to put it at like five percent. Yeah, but one, one book. <clears throat> they read one. I mean, book. I I read constantly, like not only, like articles. Um, I write. I read. But you know what? Now <clears throat> with books is, if I have to suck in the information, I'll list. I'll listen to an audio book. So like Audible. Yeah. I've got like fifty books going on right now. 
<clears throat> and I've got about like another 50 on my Kindle that I just kind of jump around and I don't necessarily, I skim it. You know, I, I, I go to sections that I want to read. I don't go from start to finish. Well, I mean, are they like manuals on doing things or? Yeah, obvious. I mean, obviously, if it's a a work of fiction of a story, I I go from start to finish. Uh, But these are like um, business books or creative books or biographies or stuff. I'll jump around. See, this is why I I mean, the idea of the Kindle is uh, appealing in a sense. But the thing is, like with Netflix, I have so many things on Netflix I've watched like 10 minutes of 15 minutes of. I mean, there's a lot of things on Netflix that are just kind of junk. Like, they look, the description seems good, and then I'll start watching it, and I'm like, this is crap. Like, it's just obviously a cheap movie. Um, but that's the thing. Like, I would, I feel like my focus is not very good, so I would be like, you know, I'd read half a book, and then, I mean, I do this anyway. I'll read half a book, and then I don't really want to finish it. You know, if I get it from the library, that's fine. I just bring it back, but... But in any I, case, I do, I do that all the time. If yeah, see, to me, there's like great works of art, and this is this is books, this is films, TV shows. Like, <clears throat> if it stinks, I bail. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll just put it down. I, I won't. I won't give it any more time. Yeah, I would rather reread like a a fantastic a book or film or t- or rewatch it than watch some mediocre, just crappy thing. True. True. Sorry, mediocre. Yeah. Mediocre. Um, well, so two things. One, uh, I was listening to this th- this thing they were supposed to be investigating in Ukraine. Apparently, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, sat on this the board of some like uh, power company or something like that. And there was a their equivalent of the attorney general was supposed to be investigating corruption, but he himself had obviously been compromised, been bought off. He wasn't doing his job. So the issue was getting rid of that guy. So if they had gotten rid of that guy, it actually would have put Hunter Biden more at risk if he were doing something wrong because they wanted somebody in there who was stronger. So the person presenting this said, what Trump is saying doesn't make any sense. Like if Biden, Joe Biden, as vice president, was pushing for this, he would actually, if his son were taking bribes or something, he was exposing his son more. So it was like, none of this makes any sense anyway. That it wasn't like he was trying to get his son out of a, a corruption scandal or something like that. They were actually pushing for a, a stronger uh, anti-corruption person. And secondly, Trump, uh, you know, Trump released the transcript of the call, which clearly has him asking the president of Ukraine to do this. So Man, again, he thinks he is like the Teflon Don. I get, but it's like he released this to undercut Nancy Pelosi. And it's like, but you just proved what they said about, I don't know. It's just bizarre. It's, I heard. You- I, I mean, the, the impeachment process, I think this time it's going to start, but he's not getting out of office. Probably it's, not. Probably not. Yeah. Um, he's he's going to weather this storm. It's not, it's not even a storm for Trump. Well, this is like think, a... I don't know. I mean, you know, Nixon didn't think the same thing either. So, you know, you never... I, I yeah. Mean, 
Well, I, 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 re- I really don't think that anything's... I mean, there's going to be a big to-do about it, but nothing's going to happen. Well, you know, see, the thing is, Mitt Romney hates Donald Trump. I mean, he just, hit, you know, he humiliated him. And there are other people that hate Trump who are Republicans. Ted Cruz, he hates Trump. Marco Rubio, all those people. So I don't yeah, know, Yeah, but they're still, they're still playing in his sandbox. I know, I know. But if they smell blood in the water and too much gets revealed... Because the thing, you know, they were just talking about this on Meet the Press. Like, this is not fake news and it's not a witch hunt. Like, this is his transcript. Like, so, you know, again, maybe nothing... I, I mean, I think something will come of it in the, you know, pub court of public opinion. But is it going to go all the way to him getting yanked out of office? I don't know. I mean, it, it's... I mean, look not. at what he's what he's pulled. Oh, I know. I know. I, I, I mean, it's... I mean, he's openly sided with Putin. Yes. Like, oh, publicly. He has... He, he said that he's best friends and, quote, in love with the dictator of North Korea. Right, but that's not going to get like, you impeached. I mean, you could... It's not going to get you impeached, but it's... Um, it's very, not even unprecedented. It's just like uh, you're, you're siding with our enemy, with our enemy, our sworn enemies. Well, I mean, yes, but I mean, this is like something Democrats can point to specifically and say, these are his words. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, even with even with that concrete evidence, the Democrats are going to mess it up. They're yeah, going to screw quite, it up. Quite possibly. Well, this um, segues into an article. I think we've probably talked about this topic, but um, this article is uh, the strongest predictor of men's well-being isn't family or health, which hopefully for Donald Trump it isn't, but it's your job satisfaction. So I would have to think that Donald Trump is actually not all that happy because he doesn't appear to be that happy being president. I think we I think we definitely spoke about this, but this is a different article on the same study. It's basically saying that men see their their value in society directly into what they do and the, the, the value they provide within their job and uh, basically their work environment. What you would think it would be like family, uh, maybe friends, maybe sports, but Uh, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's overwhelmingly their sense of worth is tied to their job. Yeah, which we've talked a lot about the dangers of that, too, because if you lose that job, now what? You know, it's like... Yeah, but it it makes sense because in society, right, the the male... And I'm probably going to get a ton of hate mail from all our uh, our lady listeners, our women listeners, all of them, the feminists, all of them. <laughs> yeah. But it's a man like they they see it upon themselves, and this is not every fam- nuclear family. So please, you know, I'm going to get I'm going to get crapped on. Yeah. Um, they see themselves as the breadwinner, right? So the uh, you know uh, the provider. Right. And once you take that role away from that, so let's say a guy has a really good job for 15 years, then he gets laid off. 
He's like a rudderless ship. He's lost in the in a sea of expectations. I'd be more than happy to live off of a woman. More than happy. <laughs> no, I, I think, listen, I also think, too, most guys wouldn't really have a problem with it. What I'm talking about is if you were in that position and then you had to, you know, take a back seat. Yeah. Not, that's a bad analogy, a back seat, but just like you're no longer the breadwinner. Yes. Well, money is power in this country and many other countries. And whoever is earning the most money... Uh, where's the uh, that's not pants. that's not true i i earn more than my wife and i have zero power i was gonna say if your wife was uh your wife would be upset at you about this but your wife doesn't listen to the podcast so <laughs> no she doesn't she listened to one and uh that was enough apparently and so. yeah and she um she said that she would have never married me yeah if i had started this uh podcast before we got married Perhaps. so that's Hey, that's a nice pat on the back. Perhaps you could ask her to add that in one of our reviews. <laughs> that would be a good one. She'd be right up there with. Remember that woman? She was our like first review in yes. Alabama. Lindsay, was that it? Lindsay. Now we have eighty-three reviews. Oh, 87? really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So overwhelmingly. Take that. Uh, what's her? What was her name? Was it Lindsay? Something like that? Yeah, we we crapped on Lindsay for like 10 episodes. <laughs> well, she was the only <laughs> one who put it out there. So uh, let's see. The survey found that 91% of married men had normal or better levels of mental positivity compared with 80% of single or unmarried men. Regionally, friendship is a particularly strong predictor of well-being for men in the West and Northeast U.S. While socializing... Through sports and healthy competition was a stronger indicator of well-being for men in the U.S. South. Well, that's interesting. It kind of breaks down by uh, age, by region. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Like, uh, I live in the Northeast, and I mean, sports are you know obviously popular up here, but there's a lot of people up here who are not into sports. You know, they're more into like academics or things like that. You have so many colleges here and whatnot, but you know, places like out in the Midwest and like those Southern colleges and those Midwestern colleges, like football and whatnot. Oh my God. I mean, I went, Oh, to, it's a, it's a religion. Have you ever read, um, Friday night lights? No. Is it, was that, um, it was, a was movie. the series, the TV series based off of that? Yeah, it was a movie and then it was a series. It is, I mean, these high school, high school, not even college, they chartered jets for these teams to fly to away games. I mean, it was, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. And that was in Odessa, Texas. Um, I went to the University of Texas at Austin and saw the stadium. It's over 100,000 people. It's, wow. It's a college. So, yeah, it that is really like... I remember one time I was working on a, a film or commercial or something like that. And there was a woman there. She was from Kansas City. And I said, oh, oh how is uh, Kansas City? And she goes, oh, you know, pretty good, pretty good. We have a, like a good-looking season ahead of us. And we got such and such a quarterback and da-da-da. And I was like, what? I said, no, 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 the city. Like She was talking about the football team. The oh, she assumed automatically assumed you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, 
religion, as you said. And I said, no, no, no. How, how's like Kansas City as a city? And she was like, oh, I don't know. It's all right. <laughs> but like, no, that didn't. Uh, she didn't care about that. It was just like so many like cities, fortunes, their economies and things like that are tied to their like football team, basketball team, baseball team, whatever. So you can kind of see why people are really into it. Well, they well they people will they'll identify it with with it you know they'll see it as a you know that this is their legacy you know yeah. this is their um uh well, i just lost the word that i was gonna say i don't know but it, it it becomes and and also too speaking of the fact that you know religion has kind of taken a back seat so now people replace that with sports and work work and work it? yeah uh let's see Study finds its influence whether men feel they are using their own unique talents at work. Of course, this is also geared to a certain uh, strata of people. Most jobs do not require unique talents. They require drones, you know, for the most part. Like you're just in there entering data or you, you know, work at a kind of factory well that's that's a pretty broad statement twisting a widget you know (laughs) (laughs) no i mean most jobs don't you know really i mean even if you work as an accountant or something like that it's not you know it unique talent i guess is not how i would describe it you know what i mean no i got you i got you like unique is one of a kind i mean if you're talking about a painter or a writer or something like that yes but you know, most jobs are by just their very nature kind of mundane. You know, they're not terribly creative. And and a lot of times, you know, even on film sets, I mean, a lot of those jobs are not, I would say, the vast majority of those jobs are not creative. I mean, when I was a grip, like, people did not want my creative input. They wanted me to put lights up. That's what they wanted me to do. So that's what you do. And I, I remember it was funny, like, it would usually be like a young PA uh, production assistant, you know, maybe 22, 23, who had just graduated from film school or something like that. And they're on set and they're so excited. You know, they did their thesis film and they want to talk about it and everything. And it's like, okay, you need to fill that water cooler with water. Okay. That's what I need you to do right now. And like, just, you know, I don't need your creative input right now. We can talk about it later over drinks or something, but it's not, you know, and we've talked about this. It's not like a, you know, for the most of the crew, it's like you just got to do your job. If you're doing makeup, you do makeup. If you're a carpenter, you do that, you know, and it's very specialized. It's very compartmentalized and that's the way it's got to run. And I think some people are kind of disillusioned by that when they go onto a film set, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is it's really boring. There's there's a ton of time to set up, and then the actual filming process is very short. Yeah. I, mean, you, you, I mean, you can read about it with actors. They just they sit in their trailers for the, like 98% of the time. Uh, who is it? Nick Pelleggi, the guy who wrote um, Wise Guy, which became Goodfellas. He, right. He wrote the script with Martin Scorsese and they wanted him nearby as a consultant. And he said he went on to set once or twice and he's like, it was the most boring, tedious thing I've ever seen. He's like, they roll the camera for a minute and then they play with lights for the next two hours. 
It's like, it's right, so right, right. boring. But like, Martin Scorsese is doing things creatively. The actors are. But that's about it. Everybody else, it's, well, the director of photography is. Um, but, you know, most of the people there, me, you know, I was like third grip. It's like, okay, we need to see Well, that. I mean, you know. the pro the entire process is creative. Yes. But it's not like the glitz and glamour of what everybody thinks. It's everyone's got a job to do. They've got to set up to get this shot. And then the creative part happens. But it's such a small part of the entire process. Well, even like writing, like submitting pieces of writing is so, to me, and it's a lot easier these days. In a sense, it's easier because you do most of it online. I do kind of miss the days of putting a manuscript into an envelope and mailing it in. It just felt like you were doing more. But it's tedious. Like, it's really tedious reading through all these, like, what do they want? How long does the story have to be? Or, you know, it can only be 5,000 words. And then what genre are they looking for? And is this, you know, and then you just get rejection after rejection after rejection. And it's like, I just got one from the New Yorker and it's like, okay, chalk it up, throw it in the door, another rejection. And it's like, you know, right. Right. And then getting rejected from these like pissant literary journals. So you're like, who the hell are you to reject my story? (laughs) Who are you? Who even reads this thing? You know, and they reject it and it's like, okay. So, you know, but it's, it's boring. Like it's really tedious. I'm sure like if you're an artist, going to buy paints, going to stretch canvases, getting the brushes, mixing the stuff. Like it's, there's a lot of work to it that a lot of people don't want to do. And they're like, most, most people just give up. Yeah. Which is, there's a certain satisfaction in that too. Just, (laughs) I kind of just roll over on the couch after I'm like, forget it. I'm not submitting anything else. I'm done. You've put in your five minutes of work and now you're, you're tapping out. Listen to this one. This is great. So uh, I think all of our listeners know the history of my short film, HR, has been rejected from every film festival we've submitted to. And I'm still, I thought I'd received all 20 rejections. They're still coming in. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, did I even submit to this many film festivals? So I get uh, Yeah, it's like, uh, Mr. Kerr, you... uh... You didn't apply to right. our film we're festival, but we're going to send you a rejection letter right. anyway. <laughs> right. We heard about it, and we just want to <laughs> send a preemptive rejection. We haven't yeah. seen it. Don't know. even bother. Don't even bother so sending it to us. They send the rejections, the emails to the producer, and then the producer sends them to me. So it's just become kind of a bad joke, you know. So I get one from the Austin Film Festival. They rejected it. The next day... We get another one from the Austin Film Festival rejecting it. I'm like, yeah, I know. I got it. Did you have to, like, make sure I understood we don't want your film? They're like, hey, send that guy another email. His film was so bad, we need to send two emails. And it's like, all right, you know, there you go. It doesn't feel that great, but, uh, and it's tedious. I mean, that must must do wonders to your well-being. Totally. Totally, you know, but it's like submitting the thing was so tedious and like doing the credits and all. Oh, my God. It's just like and and for nothing, you know, to get rejected from everything. So it's like, all right. It's the same thing like for me when I when I do a request for proposal and RFP, it's a ton of work. So 
a brand or a corporation will, you know, send an RFP and it's like, okay, here's the here's the stuff we want to do. Everybody wait, wait. applaud. For, for our listeners, what's an RFP? Request for proposal. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's a request for like a creative proposal. Okay. And it takes hours and I mean tens of hours. It could take forty to fifty hours, and you yeah. have a whole bunch of people working on it. And they're picking one agency usually, sometimes two. And the, you know, rejection is just the, the name of the game. Like, you know, hundreds are being submitted and they're picking one. And it takes so much time. And it's just like, all right, yeah. chalk that one up. I just did one and, of course, it got rejected. So, thumbs up for that. Yeah, and it's sort of like... I don't know. Either you decide you're just going to keep doing it, you know, you're going to make another film or send another RFP or you're not. So, and I'm sure a lot of people just decide, you know, forget it. So that kind of works for me because after a while it takes talent out of it, of which I have a a little shaky in the talent area. So, you know, it's sort of like, all right, I'll just kind of wait all you people out and keep submitting and, uh, you know, maybe something hits. So, you know, I don't know. In terms of job satisfaction, I don't, yeah, I don't know how satisfying that is, but uh, I don't know. There's a certain amount of, I guess you, you also have to love what you do. I mean, you know, if you don't like making films or you don't like writing or painting and you're just doing it to make money or whatever. Oh, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I mean, if you're in it to make, just to make money, you might as well throw in the towel now. Yeah, or, you know, because you want attention or, you know, everybody has their own motivations. I mean, some people, you know, they just want to tell people they are filmmakers, you know, and it sounds awesome at parties and everything, but they're not actually that interested in doing all the gut work to make a film. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, if you're not, that's fine, but there are people who will. And so, you know. They want to be like on set with everybody paying attention to them. They want a director's chair and all that. And it's like, well, that's nice. You know, and they worry about what hat they're going to wear and all this and that. And it's like, okay, what's your film? What's your deal? You know, it's, eh, well, you know, so, um, yeah. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, we've exhausted this. (laughs) I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've exhausted this and myself, so... Uh, yeah, I, I've just puttered out. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody, uh, we'll label this one short and sweet. You can certainly listen to it on your ride into work or your ride home from work. It'll fit nicely into that 20, 30-minute commute. And arrive at work refreshed with new ideas. Yeah, and we're just, you know, we're all watching this reality TV show that we call Trump. Uh, we're going to see how this <clears throat> impeachment process unfolds. And, um, yeah. I wonder if he would just quit. Just be like, all right, forget it. <laughs> that would be, I think that would be great. I, that would just be awesome if he just quit. He's like, you know what? I just can't take this anymore. I quit. You know what? I would love to see someone ghost it. <laughs> not, <laughs> not show up. Just He leaves the Oval Office. He Somehow he gets out of there. He pays... You know, pays off the secret. So he just, just disappears in leaves, the wind. Leaves, yeah. Yeah, nobody knows where he is. No. <laughs> no. Everyone's trying to call him frantically. <laughs> Mike Pence is like, I don't know where he is. I haven't yeah. talked to the guy in weeks. I don't know. He, thro- he throws his phone in the ocean. 
I wonder what would happen if Mike Pence became president. Oh, my oh God. God. That guy is, I don't, he is a serious. He's scary. Yeah, he's, he's a scary. job. Yeah. He's like, I, th- I think he might, <clears throat> he might lock up or throw all gay people in jail or concentration camps. Yeah. He, uh, I think it was his state that was passing a bill. I think while he was governor that they had to hold funerals for aborted fetuses. Didn't he say like the, uh, like the the wrath of God was behind like hurricanes and tornadoes because of gay people. Was that? Or am I just New making Orleans? that up? Somebody did say that. They said New Orleans had been punished for Katrina with. Katrina. I think that I think that was him. I'm pretty sure that was him. <laughs> well, if he so didn't that's, say that's it, good. That's something to look forward to. Then he certainly agrees with it. Uh, yeah, he's he's a strange guy, man. He took some public pledge not to be alone with a woman who's not oh, his Jesus. wife. Christ. Christ. <laughs> like what? I what are you talking about? Really, Jesus. really. I mean, I understand. Like in this day and age, you know, you got to be very careful. But you don't need to take public pledges about these things. Like it's so ridiculous. Like it's if a, you decide in your own mind, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable being around someone I'm not married to, who's you know a woman. All right, whatever. I mean, but do you have to come out and publicly pledge it to everybody? Like, yeah, yeah. That's that's just like grandstanding. Come on. And I'm all about grandstanding, Maddie. Cannon. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what this podcast is. We're just grandstanding. Oh, this whole yeah, this whole <laughs> thing is just an ego <laughs> ego play. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to this uh, narcissistic ego booster. Uh, buy a T-shirt. They're pretty fun. You'll be the fun person in the office, no doubt, with a homo. No uh, doubt. Industrious t-shirt? Jeez. People are going to be like, yo, I want to party with that guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that guy. <laughs> I'm going to party with that dude. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app, the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.